0: you all open with me to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, and entitled this message uh, today, Union with Christ, part 2, pretty simple, Union with Christ, part 2, and Paul has been making an argument uh, since the uh, opening verses of chapter 6, answering the question, or would to continue in sin, that grace may abound? And he says, absolutely not. And then he goes and he begins to unpack his argument as to why he is making that statement. And last week we talked about being in union with Christ, and that is his primary argument. If we're in union with Christ, sin is not our nature. That is not our character. That is not the way that we live. Um, And so, last week, uh, one of the takeaways anyway was that the indicative precedes the imperative. In other words, who we are comes before who we obey, and what we obey, and when we obey. We have to be in Christ in order to live in Christ, and so he calls us to that, and so we see that we don't o- obey in order to be redeemed. We uh, are redeemed that redemption, so that redemption enables us to obey. And so Paul is helping the Romans to understand no, 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 don't be confused. Grace is not an open license to sin. Grace, instead, is God pouring out to us and giving to us what we do not deserve. And that is forgiveness of sins instead of wrath for sins. In chapter 5, he talked about how grace is superabounding and how that grace outpaces our sin. And Paul, here, is making an argument that although that is true, One thing that begins to happen in our lives is sin begins to decrease. Why? Because we are in union with Christ. We are united to Him. If we are united to Christ in His death, it follows that we are united to Christ in His resurrection. Last week, we looked at that front part, United with Christ in His death having died with Him. But now I want us to look at that we live with Him. And and honestly, if you hear other sermons on this, you're going to hear them together. But my mind just doesn't do that. So I, I brought them apart a little bit and wanted to unpack both thoughts. And so... As we look at this, I want us to see that it says there in verse 5, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul's argument is you can't have one without the other. You can't have the death of Christ without the resurrection of Christ and be in union with Christ. They both go together. It's like peanut butter and jelly, right? I mean, yeah, y'all know I'm going to talk about food. I always get y'all warmed up, you know, for for lunch. I don't know what you're having today. It ain't going to be peanut butter and jelly probably. But it's like peanut butter and jelly. One goes with the other. I mean, it's just how you smear that on some bread, get you a glass of milk, you're good to go. Until you realize how wonderful peanut butter and banana are. And then you don't need no jelly. You just got some banana and rub that in there. I see y'all squirming and going, oh, no, man. Come on. Elvis Presley couldn't have been wrong about this, okay? And his favorite sandwich, peanut butter and banana, all right? Surely there's some Elvis fans out there. Y'all still know who he is, don't you? Not just from the movie, right? Yeah, thank you. All right. <laughs> but But, I mean... You make the argument, you know, peanut butter, they just go together until you discover peanut butter and banana or steak and potato, all right, right? All right, I got you going now. Steak and potato, ribeye, all right? Let's don't go with no sirloin. and I don't know why anybody would eat one of those, all right? But uh, ribeye steak, baked potato, busted open, fully loaded, Right? And then you go to the steakhouse. Don't do that. Learn how to cook a steak, for crying out loud. You go to the steakhouse, and you know what they got on the menu to go with that instead of a loaded baked potato? Grilled veggies. Seriously? You see, you got things that go together, all right? Steak and potato, grilled veggies. Seriously? How about this? Some people don't want the steak. Just give me some... Whatever, don't amen that. <laughs> Just grilled veggies, that's it. What? Okay, you get my point, I hope. I, I want you to understand, we've stepped into the realm now talking about food of relative preferences. But union with Christ is not a relative preference. Union with Christ involves his death and his resurrection. And without one, you can't have the other. Sin is not defeated if he is not raised. We can't live apart from having died with him, having died to sin. Those go together. And if we have died to sin, y'all know what goes with that? We will live with him. Resurrection follows it. Renewal follows it. Redemption brings about a new life. Period. Period. If you've been united in his death, you have been united in his resurrection. We can't choose Christ and unrighteousness. Can't do it. We can't choose righteousness with no Christ. See how it just keeps going back and forth? They just go together. You can't have righteousness apart from Christ, and you can't have Christ apart from righteousness. Granted, it's His righteousness. It's always His righteousness. The righteousness you live is His righteousness. We ain't got it in us. Paul states... For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be. I like the word certainly there. He didn't have to put that there. He could have just simply said, uh, we shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. But he included this word certainly. We certainly will be included in a resurrection like his. I like certainty, don't you? There are a few things that we find to be absolutely certain in this life. But right here, Paul wants us to know. Let me tell you something that's certain. Let me tell you something that's absolute. That if you died with him, you will be and you are raised with him. I'll explain kind of the futuristic tense of this, but also that it doesn't negate the present. As true as the statement is in verse 5, I mean, that's a true statement, absolutely. If, if I said that, I mean, uh, you know, this sermon could just simply be verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's pray. I could do that, right? Because that's, that, we know that's true. But Paul, in writing this, he laid out his statement, and then what he's got to do is he's got to prove the statement. He knows he can't just leave that laying out there because people will take it and use it to their own end. So he's making this argument. Uh, you know, He knows he has to prove his point. And so he does that. Let me break this down in three steps. First of all, we live in union with Christ. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Well, no. We live in union with Christ. We're interconnected with Him. Sin's dead to Him. It should be dead to us. Okay? So he's laying that out. We are to live in union with Christ. Last week we died with Christ, but this week we're living in union with Christ. Secondly... Pretty simple statement here. Death is dead. All right? Death is dead. He's gonna, he explains that to us. Death is dead. Resurrection makes that true. And lastly, live life to God. That's what he calls us to live life to God. So, first of all, we live in union with Christ. In verse 8, he says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe, so this is by faith, that we will also live with Him. What does that mean? What does it mean to live with Christ? First of all, I believe that it means to live by means of Him. To live by means of Him. No one lives apart from Him, whether physically or spiritually. But this is speaking of a spiritual regeneration, a spiritual living. There is no living in Him or with Him apart from knowing Him through faith. In other words, if we live, we live by faith. His means, by means of His power, by means of His working, by means of what He has done. So, if we have died with Him, we believe that we will also live with Him. He makes us new. He saves us. He redeems us. So, very much, I believe that one of the things that's being communicated here is that this is living by means of him. Notice that it says there in verse eight, we believe that we will, we will also live with him. We will live with him. Future tense. It's a future tense there. And although the future tense is used, it does not negate that this living is also now. Notice over in chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 21, eh, let's go back to 18. I can't help myself. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase their trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. A superabounding grace. Why? So that as sin reigned in death and dominated, by the way, grace also might reign through righteousness in domination, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. We notice there that Christ's obedience leads to grace reigning through righteousness that leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Uh, the righteousness is Christ's righteousness. And Paul's comparison is between the increase of sin and the increase of grace. The increase of sin because of the law. And the increase of righteousness because of grace. He's making this comparison. And notice what happens that grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Leading from where? Now. Okay? He's looking at the future, but he's also joining it to the present. Just as God's kingdom is now and to come, we we need to understand that the increase in sin is because more people exist and therefore more sin exists because of Adam. However, since Christ has disabled the power of sin and moved it into idol, Uh, through death, the effect of grace is rising. Why is that? Because of those who trust in Christ and His righteousness to live to God. That's happening in the present. That future tense does not take it out of living now in this way. If we died to Christ, what are we commanded to do? Die to sin. Are we to die to sin now? Absolutely. See, all the margu- arguments connect to one another. Are we to die to sin now? Yes. We're commanded over and over again. Put sin to death. Even down here, it's going to tell us, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to obey its passions. Don't do that. When? Now. And so union with Christ and His resurrection has to do with our living in Christ now by the power of His resurrection. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. There in verse 8 it says, we believe that we will also live with Him. Now, oftentimes we think of this, and it's not wrong to think of this, of living in the same house with him, or dwelling with him. We think of living with a spouse and we're in the same house. But the the way this is phrased and the way the language is, we're not talking the and the Greek word itself, we're not talking about proximity here living with christ is not about proximity it's not about being in the same room it's not a geographical statement because geographically christ is seated in the heavenlies right he's seated at the right hand of the father guess where we're not we're not there physically We're on our way, and our life is certainly supposed to start moving in that direction. So it's not speaking about proximity. It is speaking about relationship. It is speaking about this bond that is formed upon believing in Christ. We are brought into union with Him. John used a word in chapter 15, abide, abide, to be interconnected with. that passage is certainly speaking of union with Christ. Turn with me there to John chapter 15. We're to live in union with Christ. Jesus says, identifies himself and the Father. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's redemption. Remember the, uh, the, the imperative. Follows the indicative. The indicative precedes the imperative. You're already clean. Here's the imperative. Abide in me. As I, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. The word means to stay, to remain. It means to exist. But more emphasis is placed Not on the definition of the word so much as the continuing aspect of the word. Saying, keep staying, keep remaining, keep existing. Paul said this in Philippians For to me to live is Christ. I had a t shirt once. It says, what did it say? <laughs> it went away. Christ is life. Everything else is baseball. That's when everything else was actually baseball to me. Christ is life, but everything else is baseball. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. In Paul's mind, at least in his writings and in his living... Everything he did was for Christ. And everything he did and thought about was thought through the lens and the thinking of Jesus Christ. He didn't think, I want to go do this. What would Jesus think about that? He found out from Jesus, What do you want? I'll go do it. I want you to go to the Gentiles. I'm out. And man, he went wherever there were some Gentiles. I mean, he went everywhere. At the peril of his own life, he went. Again, he says, this is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There's no separation in his own thinking and in his own mind that he and Christ were ever separated. They were always in union together. Always one. Wherever Paul was going, Christ was going. Wherever Christ was going, that's where Paul wanted to go. Whatever Paul was doing, that's what Christ was doing. And Paul wanted his doing to match that of Christ and what he thought. In his mind, there was no separating from Jesus Christ. How often do we consciously think during the day, I'm one with Christ. I don't need to do that. I don't need to say that. I don't need to go there. Abide in me. Now, let me just also help us to understand something. Abiding is not our proximity of being near, but the sameness of our being with Him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. He's making us like Jesus in what we are Doing. We're moving toward a sameness with Him while we are with Him, while we are in Him, while He has already redeemed us. He is continuing to make us more and more like Him. Proximity is not the thought. I know that's some of the word picture that we create. But it's not about proximity. Remember God's nature. Where is He present? Oh yeah, that's right. Everywhere. I don't have to be in heaven for what we're talking about here. The abiding, the nearness, the being with Him. That's as we go and as we live. It's becoming more and more like Jesus. It's not about proximity. You know, if you're looking at the moon standing in Texas, by the way, it's just a little sliver right now, so kind of hard to see. Makes the stars bright, though, okay? Uh, But uh, you've got the the moon. You're standing in Texas. You're looking at the moon, and you know somebody in California. I don't know why they don't leave, but while they're, they're in California, and they're looking at the moon, And that moon, if the sky's clear, it's going to look a lot the same. Now, it may be a little bit bigger in Texas, all right, than it is in California. And it might be in a different position in the sky than it is in California. And that has to do with proximity. But that moon is going to look like the same moon, whether it's bigger or smaller. The essence of the moon has not changed. It's still the moon. And I want you to know, proximity is not what we're talking about here. Nearness to Christ is something that we pursue. But he's not talking about proximity as much as he is talking about becoming like him as he is. John in 1 John says, when we see him, that's how we'll see him, as he is he is we will be as he is that's the goal that's what's going to happen when he comes we will be as he is if that's the goal at the end don't you think it's the goal now yes becoming like him in his resurrection being raised Putting sin to death, and not only putting sin to death, but pursuing him in righteousness. Pursuing righteousness, his righteousness. Colossians 3 points that out. I read this morning Colossians 3 9 and 10. I stopped marking my passages so you can get there. Because I'm otherwise slow if I don't mark them. All these kids are like Bible drilling on me, you know. They're all getting there before I ever, I ever get there. That's okay. Listen to what Paul says. Don't lie to one another. Why? Well, seeing that you've put off the old self. <laughs> Now, he took, he took the, 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 the indicative and the imperative and he switched them there. Do you all see that? But they're still there. You've put off the old self. What's that the result of? Dying with Christ. Don't lie to each other. That's the imperative. With its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its Creator. We see here that we stop living in one way, we start living in a new way because of something. The new self is being renewed. How? In knowledge. Look at verse 9 in Romans. He says, We know that Christ being raised. Abide. In me, we stay, we remain, we exist, and we do that continually. We stay, we remain, and exist, and we grow in knowing how to do that. This abiding, Gina was telling me this morning that she throws me under the bus when she talks about abiding. That when we go on a trip and we go to a hotel, she says, How many of y'all unpack your clothes out of the suitcase and put it in the drawers at the hotel room? And everybody's kind of like, No. I do. Don't laugh at me. I do. I unpack. I'm I'm at home. I, I don't leave it in a suitcase. I mean, that's no fun. I put it all out there. It's not all crammed into that suitcase. I want it to breathe. I want the wrinkles to get out of it. We stay there. We're there for a couple of days, and I don't have to ruffle around in the suitcase, no, because it's all laid out in the drawers in the hotel room. You watch six months from now, people go be going, you know, I tried that unpacking thing. You got something there. I know what's going to happen. And you think, boy, that's abiding. That's moving in. That's making yourself at home. And that's a good analogy up to a point. But abiding in Christ is not taking your stuff and moving into his place. Abiding in Christ is having nothing to bring. Nothing to give. I don't have any food to add to the table. I don't have any clothes to wear. I don't have anything. Abiding in Christ is not bringing anything with you. And accepting the hospitality of the Savior who died for you. But I want you to know there's no abiding apart from knowing and growing in the Lord. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. We know. You know, when we talk about the Christian life being about faith, it is about faith, but it's faith in what we know. It's not faith in what we optimistically hope. It's faith in what is certain and absolute not in something that is random and relative. It is absolute because the promises of God are good and they're true and they're everlasting. And that's what we're abiding in. But there's no abiding apart from knowing and growing in knowing. (coughs) Did y'all catch that? There's no abiding apart from knowing and growing in knowing. In other words, we're going to continue to know and grow in knowledge of him. (coughs) You know, any subject you choose to learn, some of you are specialists in things. Uh, and you went to school and you read books and you wrote papers and you did all these different things to, uh, to grow in knowledge of your profession, to grow in knowledge of the things that, that you do. And as you grow in knowledge, you become an expert or considered an expert by people. And most experts know they don't know everything about the subject that they're an expert in. And the subject they're an expert in is finite. And they still don't know everything about it. You can't gain all the knowledge there is to gain about Christ, who is infinite, who is eternal. We will never cease to learn about Him and know Him more. We're never going to come to a place where we know Jesus Christ fully in the sense that we know everything about Him and that we can uh, process all the various aspects of who He is and why He came and what He did. It's endless. And it's eternal. And we want to grow to know Him more. We find our satisfaction in Jesus Christ. You know, I think one of the killers of Christian growth for those who are in Christ and those who love Christ and those who are growing in Christ and those who walk in righteousness, I think one of the killers of growing in Christ is complacency. We grow satisfied with what we know about Him. We grow satisfied with just the day-to-day mundane, the same things we always do. Complacency is a killer of spiritual growth. It's a killer of anything, really. Complacency, just being satisfied with what I have. I don't need to obtain any more I'm alright I had somebody say one time talking to him about their you know, eternal life and whether they were born again I said you, you, do you know that you are You know?" and, and he says you know what I'm never going to have a mansion but I'm just fine with a cabin by the river it's kind of like what well, makes you think you're going to get a cabin by the river he's satisfied I know enough Man, there's so much more in the wellspring of life that Jesus Christ has given to us that he has paid for in knowing him, abiding in him. We live in him. I want you to know because of this flesh, we're satisfied with Christ and we're satisfied in Christ but because of this flesh we can't know the full satisfaction. Y'all realize that? Y'all ever just realize that in your worship you can only worship so high? You keep bumping up against a ceiling you know what that is? It's flesh. It's sin. But we will know When we are finally resurrected with him. Because we'll be like him. Secondly. Second point. (laughs) That one wasn't supposed to go that long. Death is dead. That's pretty easy, right? Death is dead. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives God, death has no dominion over Christ isn't that great news let me tell you something though if death has no dominion over Christ death has no dominion over you and me either if when Christ died I died and when Christ rose I rose then if death is dead it's dead And if it has no dominion over Jesus, it has no dominion over you nor I. Why? Because it's been defeated, it's been wiped out. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live our life in fear. We don't don't have to do that. You know why? Death is not the worst thing. Not being in Christ is the worst thing. Death isn't the worst thing. I mean, really, if you translate some of the things that both Jesus and Paul said, one of the things would be this. All they can do is kill you. That's it. And that's nothing. You know why? Death is dead. It will have no... Fact, if you will, on us. There's a sense in which I'm afraid of dying because dying hurts. Death, I'm not too worried about. You know why? Because it's been defeated. Death is dead. What remains for us is life. Do y'all know how liberating that is in this life? I kind of think that's why uh, people uh, jump off buildings, you know, with a parachute in their hand. I'm not sure about those guys, all right? all right. That's one of those things where don't put the Lord your God to the test, right? Okay, they jump off buildings or, or little short cliffs and things like that, you know? Or they put on these wing suits. I watch these videos, not because I'm impressed by these guys, but because, man, you just are not all there. Right? I mean, these thrill seekers. I wonder how many of those thrill seekers know Jesus Christ, and if that wing comes apart on their way down, right? No, I mean, so I'm not real scared of doing that, but at the same time, you've got to stand on top of a cliff. I am afraid of heights. Now, although what Christ did liberates us from the fear of death, it does not liberate us from the fear of heights. But we are liberated to do all things for Christ. Remember what I was saying about Paul? For to live is Christ. What did he say about death? To die is gain. We don't have to be afraid of death. Why? Jesus has liberated us. From sin and death. So we can turn loose if we feel the call of God to go to the nations with the gospel. Well, what about this? And what about that? I don't know if I can make it. Can I learn the language? Can I do these things? He has liberated you. You don't have to be afraid. And the great news is He says He'll give you everything you need for life and godliness. But one thing he's done is he's liberated us to delight in Christ. That's the main thing. Because in delighting in Jesus Christ, we hear clearly the call to missions. Hear clearly the call to how we should live in righteousness. Hear clearly the call of how we should walk and minister and care for others. So he has set us free to delight in him, something we did not do when we were enslaved to sin. Let me just close this out in this. As we abide in Christ, sin begins to decrease, not increase. And personal righteousness begins to increase, not decrease. We learn to delight in Christ and in his love. Can I just point to this week's fighter verse? You make known to me the path of life. Here it is, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Point out a couple of things. One, there's one path of life. He didn't say, uh, You've made known to me the paths of life, but the path of life. There's only one, and it's Jesus Christ. And it's that He died and that He rose again. It's by means of the gospel we come and we give everything to Him. And there, what do we find? We find in His presence there is fullness of joy. Uh, God being everywhere present, being in His presence does not require proximity, but His grace to open the door of access wherever we are, whenever we are, always being in His presence. His fullness of joy is not freedom from trouble but a promise that is greater than our trouble and this joy and pleasure is lasting into eternity and that starts right now. Our fighter verse is not about some day to come. Our fighter verse is about today. It's about dying with Christ and it's about being raised With Christ. And it's about knowing the presence and nearness and essence more and more of our God. And He calls us to that by making us into what we become through the cross of Christ and empowering us to walk in obedience to Him. That indicative always precedes the imperative. And dying with him always results in living with him. And that's walking with him in obedience. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that you would teach us more and more about yourself. And, Father, that as we desire you, as we grow in desiring you, as we grow in knowledge of you, Father, our desires will become like your desires. And, Lord, we will walk in such a way where, uh, Father, it becomes natural to us. Lord, we want to live a life that is supernatural, empowered by the supernatural and reflecting the supernatural. Father, we want you to work in us in such a way where sin is absolutely abhorrent to us, that we do not want it in our life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what we don't see, the sin in our lives, Lord, that we don't know. Father, that we would become more and more purified, more and more like Christ, more and more living to you and to the resurrection power of Christ. Father, we thank you for loving us in this way, that we would walk with no fear in this world and in this life as to what someone could do to us because we believe. But instead, Lord, we would live our lives with great zeal for the glory of your name and for the increase of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.